great to see all the beautiful faces today, a lot of new folks I'm meeting today. And if you are here today for the first time and I have not had an opportunity to meet you, I'm going to be right here, right after service. And I would love to connect with you right after service before you guys take off. Wow, what a day. I told Christy this morning, I said, I would like for there to be just one Easter in Colorado Springs where the temperature is above 60 degrees. Am I the only one? I mean, come on, he's risen. Give me some sun, sunrise, right? For those of you who know that we had a team that was in Nicaragua this past week. And those guys, man, I'm telling you, we're going to give you a better report next week. But just the little teaser trailer, this team crushed it. They just crushed it by the grace and goodness of God. And it was an amazing trip. So honored to be a part of that team. So proud of our team leaders and our team. And uh, and my 10-year-old baby girl who went out on her very first trip. Had to hold back tears every single moment. Dad, stop crying. Gosh, I'm just eating food. I know, but it's so sweet. You're eating Nicaraguan food. That was really beautiful, and we'll tell you guys more about that next week, and may we, we may weave some of that into the Word today. But if you have your Bibles, I invite you to pull your Bibles out, and if you don't, don't worry about it. We're going to put the Word on the screen this morning, and we are going to start off with the book of John. The book of John, the gospel of John, which is the fourth book of the New Testament, fourth gospel account of the life and the story of Christ. How many of you guys who are part of the family, this is the first Sunday that you've been here in the new building? Let me just see, let me see some hands. Yes, 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 awesome, awesome. Brenda, good to have you, girl. Good to have you here in the house. Yeah, it's amazing. We still got some finishing touches that were being put on. I ran into the bathroom today to go primp, you know. You guys know what primping is, right? Go check myself out. Make sure I don't have anything that's going to offend anybody. And I'm like, man, where's that? Where's the mirrors at? And so, listen, it's a work in progress, okay? It's a work in progress. But, man, so grateful to be in this house and to have our first Easter service here together so awesome. Yeah, our landlord texted us yesterday and said, hey, have a great first service in the new building. How cool is that? That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. All right, John chapter 20, I'm going to pray. And uh, I think I got a pretty decent word for you guys today. I think it's pretty decent. Yeah, <laughs> just nothing like raising that expectation level. Like, like probably a couple notches above mediocre. It's going to be pretty good. It's going to be a good Sunday. <laughs> Father, today we bless you, Lord. Thank you for life and joy that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you are here, that you are present, that because of the resurrection, you have sent forth your spirit to dwell in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you, O oh God, that we don't have to work in order to conjure up your presence. You are here, and you invite us. You have set a table for us, your people. And today, Lord, as a family, we feast on the goodness of God. We listen to the word and submit to the truth of your word. Father, I pray that your spirit will do what only the Holy Spirit can do. No amount of amazing preaching, no amount of humor, no amount of charisma, no amount of Bible knowledge can transform lives. Only you. 
And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we ask that you would move mightily in power upon every single person today in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 1, verse, I'm sorry, John chapter 20, verse 1. So here's what we're going to do. This is a pretty lengthy passage. We're going to read through about 20 verses together, and then I'm going to work from there, and I'm going to talk about some of the context of that passage. I'm going to talk about what's happening here and why it is so important and why it's so significant, not only to our story, but the human story and what God is up to at large. Verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, as we read through this, I want you to do the best that you can to try to insert yourself into this story. Because, I mean, just imagine, imagine being a single lady going out a couple of, probably a couple of miles outside of the town. You're by yourself, and it's dark. Yeah, right? Ruth's over here going, no way. But for Jesus. <laughs> right? And she rolls up, and there's this massive stone that cannot be moved by one person, and it's gone. I don't know about you, but that might be a little disconcerting. That might, that might freak me out a little bit. Verse 2, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, for those of you guys who don't know what's going on here, let me just fill you in. Yeah, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's the guy who's writing this book. <laughs> that's called like, that's called like author rights or something. <laughs> Taking a little bit of creative liberties, I think, here, John. Yeah, she came and she told Peter, and she told the one Jesus loved, which just so happens to be me. And she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. Now, this, this gets better. So, Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, happened to just be a little bit faster. I, now, I'm so surprised that when Peter got around to writing his gospel, I'm just surprised he didn't write a little something in there like, hey, listen, uh, just, just so you guys all know, I had a sprained ankle on that particular day, but I digress. Let me talk with you about spiritual matters. I mean, if I were Peter, I might have just inserted that in there. Yeah, okay, great, John. You love Jesus more, he loves you, and you're faster. Big deal. Yeah, John reached the tomb first. He bent over, he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, <laughs> several hundred feet, sweating and panting, finally arrived and went into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself separate from the linen. Moms and dads, this right here, this is your verse to get your kids to make their beds up in the morning. Okay? This right here. Listen, if the Son of Man, before he descended into hell and resurrected into heaven, could make up his bed, Kenya, please, you want to be like Jesus, WWJD, make up your bed. Okay? What would you, I'll tell you what Jesus would do. He would have made up his bed. I've got a verse for it. As long as there's a verse. 
I don't know, I might still just be riding on some Nicaragua high or something because this is a little bit... (laughs) I'm going to go with it. Verse 8, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. That's a very important verse for us. He saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. Now, this is very important. Verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, just we have to understand here that Jesus had spent three to three and a half years, night and day, not one waking moment away from these guys. 24-7 internship. Three and a half years. And throughout this internship, Jesus was continually telling these guys, listen, I know this is amazing. I know we don't want this mission trip to end. I know we're all family, but I've got to go. And it's going to be pretty grisly the way that I'm going to go. They're going to do some pretty gnarly things to me. But listen, I've got to do this. I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. Take heart. And after three and a half years of Jesus continually telling these guys they didn't get it. Also a verse, I think, for mothers and fathers of four-year-olds. <laughs> okay? It just, you just got, they're going to get it someday. They're going to get it someday. They will get it. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I do not know where they have put him. Now we just pause right here. Who is Mary Magdalene? Who is this lady that when everyone else is sleeping, she is rising early in the morning without alarm clocks and running to the tomb to check on the status of her Savior? Who is this woman? Who is this woman that after Peter and John, the disciple that Jesus loved, leave, she remains? Who is this lady? that is weeping profusely because the man, the Savior, the Son of God, that has radically revolutionized her life is not there anymore. Who is this lady? Well, Scripture tells us that this lady was a lady who was an outcast in the society, that this lady was a lady who, because of whatever her upbringing, whatever atrocity and injustice, whatever wrongdoing, Whatever bad cards were dealt her in life, she ended up trapped in a lifestyle that had ostracized her and marginalized her from the community. She was living a life of shame. She was living a life of guilt and condemnation. She was living a life of fear. She was living a life by herself until the master showed up. Until Jesus walks and she recognized there's goodness here. There's safety here. There's innocence here. There's purity here. I'm safe with this man. I'm not going to be taken advantage of. I'm not just a piece of flesh with this man. This is a man that doesn't just see the things that I've done wrong. This is a man who's not just judging me for the wrong mistakes and the wrong course of life that I have been given. And and, and one of the most tender and Sweet moments of the scripture we find. Many scholars believe that the woman who was there weeping before Jesus' feet. 
You guys remember the story. There's a story Jesus is actually hanging out at the home of some of his friends. And he happens to also be in the home of one of the religious leaders at that time. And many scholars believe this very same lady, this very same lady woken up and when everybody else is going on with their lives, she's the one looking and searching and seeking. Many scholars believe this is her. She goes into that home, unaccepted, uninvited, unwanted. But something of who Jesus was compelled her. And let's not confuse this with something that is carnal. Let's not confuse this with something that is impure. There was something that was so redemptive. There was something that was so restorative, so holy about who God is that drew her to, in spite of knowing that every person in this room is talking about me right now. And indeed, they were. Indeed, they were. And they were saying, if Jesus knew who this lady was that was touching his feet, if Jesus knew, if he really was who he says he was, there is absolutely no way. And Jesus, the scripture says, knowing their thoughts said, Peter, I've got a story for you. And it was a story about two particular guys who owed a debt. One's debt was somewhat small. The other's debt was very significant. The master decided in this story that Jesus was telling to forgive the debt of both of these men. And then Jesus asks a very simple question. Who would love the master more? And then he punctuates the point of the story by this point. He says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. He or she who has been forgiven much, loves much. And I would propose, guys, this is just a simple, humble proposition. I would propose that if we have a love problem, because really at the end of the day, it's not a works issue. It's not a religious issue. It's not a discipline issue. It's not how good I am. It's a, it's a love issue. It is a love issue, right? Because I am chasing this woman's heart, not because I'm such a disciplined man. I am chasing this woman's heart, not because, you know, I'm a good man. I am chasing this woman's heart because I am smitten by love. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. You know, am I going to raise my hands? Am I not going to raise my hands? It's a love issue. It's a love issue. It's a love issue. I'm not thinking when I'm holding my wife's hand, what are people thinking about us? They might talk about our relationship. Why am I talking like this? Where did that come from? Like, right? We're not thinking about that. We're thinking, man, I am just enthralled with this person and it doesn't matter what anybody else says about our relationship. Why? Because I love her more than I love what other people are saying. That's the issue. And that was the issue with Mary. That was the issue with this whole thing, guys. It is a love story. That's what this day is all about. It was love that drove Jesus to the cross. His love for the Father and the Father's love for us. It was love that resurrected him, defeating the power of sin, death, and the grave. It was the love of the Father. It, I'm telling you, it was not a matter of us deserving it. And that's what's so significant about this. So here she is. Imagine again, this single woman whose life was absolutely revolutionized by the goodness of Jesus. And now all she cares about is where is, where is he? Where have you put him? For those of you guys who have watched This Is Us, it reminds, me of Kate, it reminds me of Kate, you know, and her special relationship with Jack and his, and, his, and his urn. And that might not mean anything to some of you guys, but for those of you guys who watch This Is Us, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I get it now. See, I get it. 
It's all about helping you guys get it. So verse 15, he says, woman, he said, why are you crying? Actually, yeah, yeah, I don't know where they put him. Verse 14, at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Don't I, I, can't, I can't get into that theologically. I'm not sure what's going on at this moment. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Jesus, I think, I think this is kind of a window into some of the, the character and the nature of God. Because you're thinking, Jesus has been crucified. His body has been, his body has been demolished. Okay? He has gone down into the gates of hell. He has preached the powerful good news of the gospel to captivity. Something has happened to his body between these moments. And now he has taken some, some sort of a form that is unrecognizable to her. But I think some of this is indicative. There's a lot going on there. But some of this is indicative to the fact that God likes to be sought out. Last night, you know, I'm dog tired. And, uh, and the boys just typically never, they don't do this a lot. We're playing all these other things throughout the day yesterday. And, and you know, 10 minutes before it's time to go to bed. Israel goes, Dad, let's play hide and seek. And man, for a split second, I thought, dude, you got to get to bed. I'm toast. Villanova is destroying Kansas, and I'd love to be a part of that. I want to connect with my wife, catch her up. And I was like, yeah, dude, let's do it. I ain't been here for a week, man. Let's play hide and seek. And so, man, we're playing hide and seek. And two things stuck out to me that hopefully are relevant to the story in some way. <laughs> One is as I'm counting downstairs. One, two, three. Here's Israel upstairs. And he's hiding. But he peeks his head out the door and he goes, we're ready. <laughs> Come find us. And I'm like, anybody who has any sense of awareness of where things are at in this building knows exactly where he's at. Because part of the fun is hiding, but some of the fun is also being found. At least at that age. At that age. I know some of you guys are hiding seek masters. Yeah, and here's the thing. While you were hiding for three hours and nobody could find you, they all left and went home. And you're still going, <laughs> nobody cares anymore. <laughs> Joke's on you. So then when it was my time to hide, I'm listening, like, I can hide with the best of them, right? I climb onto that roof if I need to. Y'all ain't going to find me for days. <laughs> so then I find this hiding spot and like half of my body is showing. I'm like hiding behind this basket that has holes in it. <laughs> Guys, if you can't find me, seriously, let me get your eyes checked. And he comes, and Israel's going throughout all the different rooms. And then finally he comes, it's actually Kingston. He comes, he goes, I found you. And man, such a joy. I think there's something about, we got to understand, though God is invisible, God has set this up so that he can, he can awaken a desire for us to seek him. And if he wanted to, he could hide in such a way that we would never find him. But he's not rigged the game that way. He's rigged the game throughout moments of life to string things together that we have these moments of revelation. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you have experienced that? Where in a moment, you might be looking backwards and going, oh my goodness, and all of a sudden, something that you have seen or visited or experienced or looked at or read thousands of times in a moment, it was like a veil just got dropped. And you're like, 
I have never seen this before. I have never experienced this before. I am having an aha awakening moment of encounter and revelation. So Jesus hides himself. And so verse 15, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Anybody carried a corpse before? Don't answer that question. (laughs) I don't want to know. Unclean, unclean. (laughs) She's like, listen, I don't care what it will take. But if you've taken the man and the son of God who has transformed this dirty, forgotten, marginalized woman, I will find him. I will find him. And then Jesus, man, she turned. Jesus, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. He says her name. And you have to know. He's talking with her already, so she hears the sound and the intonation of his voice, but there was something about the way that, she, that he said her name. There's something about the way that the Father says your name. How many of you have heard the voice of the Father speak your name, speak to you? Usually he just calls me son. It's usually son, my son. He'll say son. And I know, whoop, I, I, I got I to slow down. This is the Lord speaking to me. I want you to know the Father knows your name. And I want you to know that he is a way of saying your name and speaking your name and speaking exactly directly to who you are, where you've been, who you've been created to be, where you're going in a way that, that, that reveals who he is, in a way that unlocks something inside of you. He knows your name and he knows your story and he knows the way you've been wired. He knows what has happened to you you. He knows what you have done. He knows what you have committed. He knows who you're supposed to be. He knows this. And it's all, I'm telling you, and it's all wrapped up even when he says your name. There's something so intimate, so profound, so personal and deep in that. And that's what God wants. That's what he wants. He wants to speak with you on this personal basis where where you know where there there is some god activity happening transpiring and when he says her name verse 16 she turned towards him and she cried out in aramaic rabboni which means teacher she knew him she had awakening she had revelation she had understanding there was an unveiling that was happening right there in that moment Guys, that's my prayer for every single one of us. That's my prayer regardless of how long you have lived in Jesus. I I know most of us in this room, you've grown up in church your entire life. But that's not the question. We'll tell you more about that next week with with a bunch of friends of mine. It's not whether or not you've grown up in the church your entire life. It's It's not whether or not you know the songs or you've served in a ministry or you've gone on a mission trip or you give tons of money away. It's not that. It's do you hear him when he speaks your name? And do you respond? Do you have a relationship of response? A relationship of response where you're moved by that, where there's such a level of connection that when he speaks, 
You're drawn to that. You're drawn to him. Am I making an ounce of sense this morning? It'd be funny if somebody was like, Lord, help me. Verse 17, Jesus says, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the Father. Okay, hold on. If I'm understanding this correctly, and uh, resident scholars, please help me. I just submit to these guys. They're like a thousand times smarter than I am. If I'm understanding this correctly, Jesus just said, I have not, I have not even returned to heaven yet. Now, I would just imagine, I would just imagine if I understand the relationship that Jesus has with his, with his father, which is a relationship of eternal love. It is a relationship of the purest love that you and I could ever imagine. And Jesus has gone down into the gates of hell. He has reclaimed the keys of authority of the kingdom. And on his way back to heaven, he takes a detour. Am I understanding that correctly? That on his way back, he's like, there's something, there's someone who is seeking for me. There is someone whose heart is so moved to know me. There is someone whose heart is so drawn to me. There is someone whose life has been so captivated by me. I've got to show up. I am drawn to the seeker. I am drawn to the seeker. Scripture says that if we will take a step towards him, that he will take a step towards you. And I want you to know that wherever you are today in this journey, because it is a journey and it is a lifelong journey, but he sees every step you take towards him. He sees it. He sees it. And he responds. And so he has to tell her because he knows, he knows that she wants to grab him and hug him and, and pour her love and affection out on him in the purest way. And he says, Mary, you can't even touch me yet because I've not ascended to the Father. And then he has a message for her. Here's the message. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, Tell them, I am returning to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. That right there, I want to just just put our eyes on that. The Lord's taken us in a place that I I wasn't expecting. Go instead to your brothers. One of the things that happens because of the resurrection is that God takes disenfranchised people. The scripture says it like this. Once you were not a people. Once you were just scattered individuals trying to figure this life thing out on your own. That's what the scripture says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Once you were not a people. He says, but now you have been made into a people. You belong. You belong to a family. Right? John chapter 1, let's just throw this up there. We're going to come back to 20. John chapter 1, verse 12. I'm trying to pull this scripture out from my mind that was put in there years ago. That's going to be like so perfect for this. It's going to blow your mind once I find it. (laughs) Oh, I'm hoping I can find it. (laughs) Not this one. (laughs) Oh, I found it. Oh, I can't wait. Your mind's going to be so blown. Be so awesome. Okay, John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, who in this house has received Christ? 
Yeah. Received him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, the privilege, and the authority to become children of God. I wish I could just expound on that for you. You have the right of a child, of a son, of a daughter. You have that right, that privilege, the privilege of being in his home, in his family, calling him father, having access to him, accessing his power, his authority. You have that privilege. It's the privilege of sonship, the privilege of belonging in the family. Which, by implication, not everyone else has that privilege. There are privileges in the family that we receive humbly, that we walk in graciously, that we access by faith, that enable us to live the God life here on this life, here on this earth. Life in Christ is not just about, you know, the afterlife. It is about now. It is about experiencing that life now. So Jesus says to her, go tell your brothers Mary, you are a woman that has lived most of your life in fear and isolation, and now you belong to a family. If you knew who was touching you, I know who's touching me. She's my sister. That's who's touching me. You catch that? I know who's touching. I know, I know where she's been. I know what she's done, and I'm here because Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick And this woman has come to me understanding and acknowledging her brokenness and Jesus will never, ever turn away someone who draws near to him in their brokenness. Ever. Jesus specializes in brokenness. Jesus entered into our brokenness. He became our brokenness so that he could restore us. But this to me, turn with, turn with me if you would to Hebrews chapter two. I think this is the word. I think this journey, this whole silly journey this morning was for this moment. Hebrews chapter two, verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting, it was appropriate, it was right that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation, that's Jesus, Jesus is the author of salvation. It was fitting that God should make Jesus perfect through suffering. Verse 11, both the one who makes men holy, who is Jesus, And those who are made holy. Who's that? All right. Both the one who makes men holy. Who's that? Jesus. And the one, the ones who are made holy. Who's that? That's us. Great. Both the one who makes men holy and the ones who are made holy are of the same family. We are family. Both the one who makes men holy and us who in our nasty depravity are being made holy are of the same family, are of the same family, are of the same family. He's got murderers in his family. He's got adulterers in his family. He's got prostitutes in his family. He's got religious people in his family. He's got people who are too cool for school in his family. He's got people who who have no limbs in his family. He's got people who cannot see in his family. He's got poor. He's got rich women, men. He's that we are in the same family. 
Because when Christ came, he came to restore family. He came to restore family. That's why he says, Mary, go tell your brothers. You're in a family now. And this is what he says back to John. Just hold the spot right here because this, this, hold your spot. I'm going to just flip, flap, flip, flop back and forth. John chapter 20 and then Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to go back and forth. John chapter 20, verse 17. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus live a sinless life? Why did Jesus experience a brutal death? Why did Jesus resurrect from the dead? So that he could reestablish family, the family of God. I like to say it like this. God sent the elder brother out into the world for all of the other wandering lost family members, which would be all of us. He sent the elder brother to go to all of us and say, guys, listen, dad's not mad. He's not mad. He's not mad at you. What's the first thing that happened when Adam sinned? What's the first thing that happened? What'd they do? They hid. They hid. Why? Because the enemy told them, hey, your, your father, he's a mean, ugly, nasty, cruel, unkind master, and you're going to get it. And you know what Jesus did? He came to say, listen, somebody's been lying to you. Somebody's been lying to you. And I've come here to let you know he's not mad at you. I've come here to let you know he's not mad at you. Now, listen, and I have to do this with my kids. I may... He's going, to, he's going to teach us. He's going to love us. He's going to correct us. He's going to train us. He's going to help mature us. But the word here today is, I've been sent to let you know he's not mad at you. Come back. Come back. Come home. Come home. Come home. Come home. Come home. You don't know what I did. I do know what you did. Come home. Come home. You don't know what I've been through. I do know what you've been through. And by the way, it doesn't matter what you've been through. And oh, by the way, I've come because of what you've been through. So come home. Come home. Come home. Home is not the same without you. Home is not the same. We need who you are. We need who you are. We need who you are in this family. You're not alone. Quit trying to do it all on your own. So Jesus says, I go to my father and their father. Now back to Hebrews chapter two. I'll be done. Hopefully. Chapter two, verse, verse 11, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I don't know about you, but that's pretty powerful to me. Because here's the tool, man. Tool, tool the enemy, he's such a liar. All he wants to do is try to heap up shame upon shame upon shame. And man, we're suckers for it. I'm a sucker for shame. I'm a sucker for my own shame. And you need to know today, of all the things that we could say right now, you need to know Jesus is not ashamed of you. I break shame off of you today in the name of Jesus. All of that shame that has tried to keep you far from him, all of that shame that has tried to keep you out of the Father's house, 
all of that shame of those things that have happened to you, all of those sh- the shame of not feeling good enough, of not measuring up, of not being right enough, I want you to know that shame is a lie because I just revealed the truth that the one who makes men holy and the ones who are made holy, you and I have been created to be made holy just like God through the power of Jesus. And he is not ashamed to call us his family. Friends, today, I can't think really of many other ways to express this, this good news. I had, I had a pretty solid track. I had a pretty solid track as I stood up here this morning. I mean, it was littered with great scriptures. And man, I just felt like the Holy Spirit just interrupted me right in the middle of our moment and say, I need you to let them know I am not ashamed. I need them to know. You are clean by the power of the blood of Jesus. And listen, you need to know nothing you will do will ever, nothing, nothing you will do. That's not the point. Nothing you do will ever measure up. Because on the flip side, you might be sitting here thinking, you don't know how good I am. (laughs) Yes, I do, actually. Because the scripture says there is none that are righteous, no, not one. And the scripture says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And the scripture says in Psalm 51, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. I do know how good you are. How good you are is not good enough. I know that. I know that. That's not the point. I know that Colossians 1.21 says this, that at one point we were enemies with God. I know that Colossians 1.13 says that we have been translated out of the dominion of the kingdom of the devil, which means to me that until we receive the life-giving forgiveness and goodness of God in our lives that we were servants and slaves to the devil. I know that. And I know that Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 say this, that it is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace that you have been saved. By faith, not by your works. Not by your works. So that's not the issue. That's not the issue of how good you can be or how you can earn your righteousness, that's not the issue. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by works, so that none of us could boast. Jesus has taken the trump card of boasting and division away from all of our hands because we are utterly wicked. The scripture says this. He says that your righteousness is as filthy rags. That's what it is. But I will make you white as snow. So today, I may never see some of you again, but here's what I want you to know. That the one who makes men holy and the ones who are being made holy, all of us, are of the same family. And God is not ashamed. Jesus is therefore not ashamed to call you my brother and my sister. This morning while we were in worship, for those of you who are not aware, we have... We have somewhat of a system here that if people feel like the Lord is speaking something for the body, that they go to one of our gatekeepers. Our gatekeepers sit right here on the second row, and they just share. I felt this impression that the Lord shared this. And one of the words that came forward today was God is saying, come home. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, it's God says, welcome home. Is that right? Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. And if you've not heard the story about a father whose son ran out on him, 
and squandered every last thing that the father owned. If you've not heard that story in Luke chapter 15, I encourage you to go home, read Luke chapter 15, the entire chapter, and you'll find a father who had a son who ran out on him, living amongst the pigs, feeding pigs, everything squandered, threw it all the way. Life was a wreck. And he had this moment, he had an aha moment where he remembered, dude, the the servants who were living in my father's house are doing so much better than I'm doing And I'm a son, so I'm just going to make myself a servant. I'm going to make myself a servant because I was a son, but clearly I'm not a son anymore because I left the father's house. So I'll just be like a servant because the servants in my father's house are better than the servants that are here with the pigs. And so he starts walking home, and the moment the father sees him in the horizon, runs to him, which 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 was an act of disgrace and dishonor for a man in that Jewish culture to run, lifted up his pants so that the skin of his legs could be shown, ran down a dusty road, threw his arms around his son and said, and his son, his son went into the narrative. Did, hey, 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 listen, 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 you need to know, I, I understand, I've said, shh, I don't need to know all that. I just need to know that you're here, that once you were dead and you're alive, I need to know that you were lost and you're found. I need to know, you need to know that I was up crying out to you every single night when I didn't know if you were going to make it or not. And I don't care what your story has been. I just care that you've come home and I'm going to throw a party for you. And I know that you don't think you deserve it because you're wallowing in shame. But I want you to know that no matter what the enemy says about you, the voice of the Father, the voice of the Father is the reality and the truth of who you are. And the Father says, you're my son and I'm going to throw a party for you you deserve a party come on stand to your feet this morning and you know what the, you know what the bible says the bible says that one person makes a decision to say christ wash me and cleanse me of my sin and and come and fill my life here's what the bible says the bible says this that there's a party going on in heaven for every single person who makes that decision and before we come to this table today This table right here is just a physical, it is a physical way that we can marry the physical and the spiritual. This table right here filled with bread and filled with a cup is representative of that last meal that Jesus had with his followers the night before he laid his life down. And it's a way for us to go back and say, this church is not about good preaching and good singing and good clothes. And this church is not about slick marketing campaigns. This church is about the cornerstone of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his life laid down, his body broken and blessed and given for all of humanity. And today, if you're here and you would say, I've never heard words like this, my prayer, my prayer today is that you've not just come to a service. My prayer today is that you've been baptized in love. My prayer today is that through these people, you're like, oh my God, people like this exist. There is an atmosphere where the love of God is so pregnant and so powerful that it washes away all of the ugliness and stickiness of your life and say, you're home. You're part of family. We want you. We love you. We need you. You're loved. You're loved. Every song we sang today was a song of love. Oh, what a love. Oh, what a love. Oh, what a love. Oh, what a love. What a love. What a love. What a love, guys. And if you're here today and you've not experienced the love of the Father, again, the enemy's an accuser and a liar, so he wants you to think that God's an angry God with you. That's not who he is. I'm here to tell you today he's a Father who loves you. Sent his son to say, come back home. Sent his son to say, I'm going to wash you up and clean you. Sent his son to say, I'm not ashamed of you. Sent his son to say, you belong here with me.
So if you would here, just take a moment. And I like to do this just by closing my eyes, creating a space in my heart where I'm not distracted by all the things that are going on around me. And I just ask questions to myself like, Lord, do I know your voice like Mary knew your voice? I ask questions to myself like, Lord, do I know your love the way that son knew that love? I'll ask questions to myself like, am I walking in shame or am I walking in the freedom that is a result of the price you paid? And ultimately at the heart of all these questions is, God, do I know you through your son, Jesus? And so right here, as we're all engaging in this holy moment, Jonathan, I want you to do this if you would. I want us to sing, oh, what a love. I want us just to sing that. We're gonna pray a prayer after that. We're gonna receive the elements of this table and then we'll be dismissed.